Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Pocket In Podcast. I'm Rick Henderson and I'm your host this week as we plunge headlong into the world of tech tittle-tattle, swim around a bit and even get out of the paddling pool and take off our armbands for the last stretch. This week, Stuart talks to the CTO of Vodafone UK, Scott Petty, about the 5G network revolution, his company's part in it, and why 2020 will prove to be the best for mobile tech yet. Stuart also reviews the latest MacBook Pro 16-inch in our test slot later. The big question is, has Apple finally cracked its keyboard conundrum? But first, I spoke to Pocketlin editor Chris Hall, who dialed in from the Qualcomm Snapdragon Summit 2019 about the latest chipsets and announcements from the show floor. And it seems the future is very bright indeed. So, Chris, you're out at the Snapdragon Summit in Hawaii. Um, what do you? Uh, what, what have you been seeing? What have they launched out there? Well, uh, Qualcomm uses Snapdragon Summit to launch their future platforms that are going to be powering the smartphones of the next. 12 to 18 months. And uh, the the big news from here is is the uh, Snapdragon 865, which is the uh, hardware that's going to be going to a lot of the flagship phones for 2020. Um, so the 865, there was another processor, wasn't there, as well? Um, yes. But let's, let's start with the 865. So what does the 865 do that last year's model couldn't do? Or, or, um, or is it pretty much much of the same, just slightly more power? Well, it's actually, it, it's quite a huge revision of what they've done before. A lot of the stuff is similar. So it's, it's you know, the, the typical power and efficiency increases that you'd expect from any incremental hardware update. But at the same time, they have really boosted some key areas to deliver better experience for, for customers and for, for users. And those kind of break down into the AI side of things. You know, AI is now coming into our phones in so many different ways. It's not just from putting a filter on you know on your face through an app like Snapchat it's being used to drive camera features and it's being used to monitor the power and Qualcomm is even using AI to sort of manage some of their connectivity that they have within the phone so they've made a huge boost to the AI power that is available and that's what they're really talking about is freeing up some of the hard work that was done by you know what we would call processors and allowing AI to take over and be able to provide these extra services sort of seamlessly. Um, so that's one of the things that's got a big update. There's also been quite a big shift in uh, the graphics performance that's available. Um, and Qualcomm really want to appeal to gamers, and to, and they're saying that these these uh, these platforms now provide some some gaming features that you would traditionally associate with desktop computers. Does it mean that? Um we'll all be gaming on our phones in the near future. Well, I think it's just there has been a huge uptake in in gaming and it's an area that's constantly growing. And we've seen the emergence of big esports uh, competitions and stuff like that, which are based around mobile gaming. 
Um, and one of the big things here is that they've now decided they've now made it possible to update the GPU. That's the uh, the part that handles all of the graphics. You can update that part separately from the rest of the phone. So you'll be able to, able to update update it via you know a normal update as you would with any app that you have on your phone. And that means if there's a new uh, new set of optimizations that comes through or support for a different feature in a different game, Qualcomm is going to be able to push these updates out to people who have got Snapdragon 865 so they can get a better overall gaming experience. It's really quite impressive stuff. Of course, with power comes great responsibility. And by that, I mean battery usage. Um, so the two things I suppose I'm asking is, does it overheat? Um, would you even know that by this point? And what are they saying about battery power? Well, these are the t- these are the two sort of big questions. Um, overheating, obviously, we haven't had the chance to actually use it and use it properly. It's still in uh, testing devices at the moment, and we're not going to be able to actually see it in a final device until sometime in early 2020. Given how well uh, the previous generation performed, I think that you'll find that it's it's been well optimized for uh, battery life. I, I don't think it's going to overheat. I think some of those things are problems of the past now. Um, of course, the other thing that was announced during the Qualcomm event was the 765 processor, which we spoke about earlier. Yeah. Um, and that piques my interest in the fact that that seems like it's going to be the affordable option. Yeah, that's right. What what Qualcomm are really doing with 765 is they're trying to find a way to deliver a lot of these premium features as well as 5G and putting it into a single package so that a smartphone manufacturer can just pick up Snapdragon 765, put it into their phone, and that includes everything. It is a slightly lower tier, so it doesn't have the same performance as the 865, but this is really designed to go into phones that are going to be much more affordable. Does that mean that it's going to essentially create a brand new market for 5G phones, ones that really make 5G much more accessible? That's the idea, yeah. Snapdragon 765 is going to be more affordable, and so you can, as a manufacturer, you can come along, pick it up, put it into your new devices, and it's going to bring the cost down. Of course, there's going to be some time for this to roll out, but we've already had announcements from brands like Nokia who said that they're going to be making a 5G smartphone that is designed to be affordable. One of the interesting things that Qualcomm are saying here is that they have networks going to them saying, can you provide us with a device? Not because they have a 5G network ready yet, but because people are only updating their phones three or four every three or four years in some countries. And that means that they want to be able to provide a 5G phone that is essentially 5G ready going forward. Do you think it will help drive 5G as well, even in the UK, for example? Yeah, I think it will, because one of the problems with 5G as it is at the moment is the devices are very premium and they're very top tier and you have to spend sort of a thousand pounds plus to get access to a 5G handset. And some people, when they're buying a new phone, they will want to buy a phone that is ready for 5G, even if those networks haven't yet arrived. The great thing about having the hardware ready in your device is that as soon as the networks turn on 5G, you'll start to benefit from all of the advantages that it brings, like the lower latency and uh, the faster connectivity and everything else. Oh, well, um, thank you very much, Chris. Sounds like a cracking Qualcomm event, and it looks like we're all going to be looking out for really superb, affordable 5G phones next year. Still to come, Stuart reviews the Mammoth 16-inch MacBook and explains why it's more than just the screen size that's changed in Apple's latest laptop. So I think there's two main differences. One is the screen is now 16 inches rather than 15, although it's in effectively the same sized machine. But probably the one that most people are going to be interested in hearing about is the keyboard. 
First though, and keeping on the subject of 5G, Stuart also recently headed to the Rico Arena, home of the Wasps rugby union team, to catch up with the Chief Technology Officer of Vodafone UK, Scott Petty. There they talked about the company's tie-in with the team and its ongoing 5G rollout. Enjoy. So we're here at the Rico Stadium. Uh, we've just been at the launch of the Vodafone Business Lounge with us, part of a partnership with Wasps. Can you talk us through why you're partnering with Wasps in the stadium to, to bring 5G here? Uh, well, we really see the Midlands as a great opportunity for the development of the 5G ecosystem and economy around that. Um, as does the government, DCMS are doing some great work here as well. Uh, and we felt that investing resources here and building innovation centres was a great way to encourage businesses to understand 5G and start to build 5G-based applications. Uh, WASP was a, a great sponsorship opportunity, a fantastic venue, an opportunity to build a business lounge where customers could come along and see the technology in place. And for us to use the stadium as a, as a use case of what 5G can do in sport, um, enabling 5G and creating new applications. So it was really a perfect storm of... of helping the development of 5G in an area of the country that's really leading from 5G take-up and development um, and a great sponsorship and partnership opportunity. And so one of the different things about 5G this time, certainly from a Vodafone's perspective compared to the 4G rollout, is that you're kind of focusing, feels like you're focusing on more rural areas, more sort of, it's not just that London, let's get the, the main capital, but it's, it's kind of elsewhere. Would that, would that be fair? Yeah, it is. The, the, the success of 5G is going to be driven not so much by speed and, and, and handsets, which is what drove 4G, uh, but the other capabilities that 5G brings, lower latency, so that enables augmented reality and virtual reality applications, much greater reliability of the network, enabling better connectivity like uh, driverless cars or cars talking to street infrastructure, uh, much better security, uh, higher levels than, than we have uh, available today, even though cellular is the most secure form of internet connectivity, taking that to the next level. Uh, for that to become real, we need to build new applications, new devices, new services uh, that really take advantage of those features. Uh, and we felt that deploying 5G live in different parts of the country that had engineering skill, companies that were looking to develop new products and services, they'd be able to enable that technology as, as part of the work that they were doing. Now, talking to a number of other network operators, the E023, everybody's obviously talking about 5G and how it's going to transform businesses and consumers' lives, etc. How does Vodafone go about differentiating your service compared to, to others in what is now quite a crowded market? I actually don't look at it quite that way. I think it's great that the UK is a leading adopter of 5G. In 4G, we were country number 79 to, to deploy 4G. And even then, it took a long time for us to get to acceptable levels of coverage. That meant companies that were building 4G applications didn't look at the UK as a market to invest in. They went elsewhere in Europe to build and trial those applications. And, and as a result, the UK was a little bit of a laggard. In 5G, we're in the top 10 countries in the world. We're well ahead of the rest of Europe. Um, on par with parts of Asia and ahead of the US, that, that's a great opportunity for inward investment and people looking to build new 5G applications. Um, there's plenty of space to compete in the market. The fact that there are already three live operators and soon O2 will be the fourth, I think is great for the whole country. Um, it's going to take us jointly a number of years to get to really high levels of coverage as we build out our network. So there's plenty of space to differentiate and compete. But overall, as a market and economy, I think we're in a great place. Now, we talked about, a moment ago, you talked about the concept of 4G was all about speed and about handsets. It feels a very different story this time with 5G. What do you think uh, are kind of 5G's main advantage for Vodafone? If you, you know, if you were to sell it to one person, you know, one unique thing, 
How would you how would you go about pushing it? Uh, it's really about the new device types that'll be connected to the network, not just smartphones, but augmented reality, virtual reality headsets, wearable devices, uh, connecting the entire supply chain for businesses. So we should see really strong growth in the number of devices connected to cellular networks, and that creates opportunities for us, obviously, uh, to to monetize those services and, and grow our revenue. Now we've seen handsets from uh, Samsung, we've seen handsets from Huawei, Oppo, other people. We've not yet seen an Apple iPhone five. 5G device. How much of a barrier do you think that is for the general consumer who you know likes Apple that it doesn't have 5G yet? Yeah, I think it's a real barrier. Um, the UK is a quite strong iPhone market, higher market share of iPhone than in than many other countries, um, and many people choose their phone first and and what the phone can do second. Uh, I think we'll see a, a, an iPhone over uh, over the next while and, and that will create uh, more drive in, in the 5G market. There's some fantastic Android handsets. Those price points are going to drop dramatically next year. You'll see a lot of low-priced handsets with 5G capability come into the market uh, that will, will tempt a lot of consumers maybe to move away from, from iPhone. Um, so hopefully Apple will, will hurry up and release a phone. Now, one of the criticisms perhaps of 5G is that it's not going to roll out as fast as, as 4G. It seemed the infrastructure was there, it was quite an easy upgrade. How, how fast do you think, you know, you've obviously got a number of sites in the, in the UK at the moment, how fast do you think we'll get to a point where you're confident that most of us have 5G and then ultimately all of us have 5G? Um. First of all, 5G is built on top of 4G technology. Our current version of 5G is what's called non-standalone, so it uses the 4G underlay network for the uplink. Um, next year we'll have standalone 5G, which will, will operate on its own and not require the 4G network. Um, the build-out, I think, will be a little bit faster than 4G, um, and the reason for that is much of the infrastructure we built for 4G is reusable for 5G, the physical mass, the passive infrastructure. We deploy new antennas and new panels, uh, and we've rebuilt the cores of our network to, to make that happen. A little bit will depend on, on uptake. Uh, and, and use cases in the market. Probably not consumer use cases, probably more the business use cases. Uh, and if we see uh, that growth at the rate that we think it will be, then I think we'll deploy 5G faster than we deployed 4G. Now, as Chief Technology Officer, you must see lots of cool tech within sure. the business. Uh, is there anything that's really struck you within the 5G arena that you think, actually, this is really cool. This is, is a game changer, so to speak. Um, I've seen a couple of applications that, that really amazed me. The first one was a holographic call that we did um, last year with um, Steph Horton, the England women's football captain, uh, and a young fan, Lily. Um, the, te the technology is cool, but interact. What, what was so amazing was within about 90 seconds, they forgot the technology was there. Steph was in, in Manchester, uh, Lily was in, in Newbury, and they were interacting with each other doing keepy-uppies. Steph was giving us some coaching tips. They were laughing and joking. And, and it really was an amazing 3D experience where they felt like they were sitting right next to each other and talking to each other, not, not like a video conference, which, which is 2D. And, and I think the power of holographic calls over the next little while is going to make a big difference. Uh, and then the second one is really the, the idea of bringing the power of touch to, to the internet. We, saw, we did a demo with a, a haptic suit when we launched 5G, a rugby tackler here in, in Coventry. Uh, a player in, in London with us wearing a haptic suit could actually feel that tackle and that adds a whole new sensation of, of sensors to, to applications and how those can be enabled. So I think those technologies will become quite pervasive. And, and as a technology that as a business could use, mm -hmm. what do you think is, is what sort of things have excited you? Because they're both very interesting sort of examples, but I, hopefully most people won't go around wearing haptic suits just yet to, to feel rugby tackles or, or have holographic calls. Sure. What do you think is sort of, sort of the tangible things that you've seen? Uh, what we're seeing in our business is augmented reality as an opportunity. We've started digitizing all of our base stations, all of our networking stations, 
uh, when our engineers go to site, they wear a pair of glasses. Uh, it tells them what, what they're looking at in front of them, what the IP addresses are of the cables they're looking at, what tasks they should follow, uh, what, task, what they need to do next to, to do maintenance or, or, or repair of those areas. And I think augmented reality in uh, service organisations and, and enterprise will be one of the first really big applications to take off. And so let's talk about that. Is that more sort of HoloLens or is that Google Glass or is that technology that you've developed yourself? Uh, no, it's using HoloLens. Um, I think you'll see other companies like Magic Leap that are doing some interesting things in that space. There's quite a lot of development uh, in the 2020, 2021 space where those devices will reach a level of scale uh, and a low enough price point to become generally usable and available. And from a technology point beyond 5G, where are you seeing the industry go what's you know obviously there's a big focus on 5g about connectivity and stuff handsets kind of have, have stalled somewhat in their in, in their sense of, of moving the design forward they've obviously got faster the better screens things like that yeah. where are you seeing the next big thing from from for vodafone customers yeah you're right the innovation in, in handsets has definitely slowed down um, i think as an industry we're moving towards um an unlimited model so no longer charging per gigabyte i think that's a good thing it enables a whole set of new applications and um, we're pleased to be leading the way on, on that topic. Uh, definitely the usage of, of wearables and additional device types, I think, is really where the industry is going. You're starting to see that with things like uh, smartwatches. Um, you'll see more wearable technology over the next couple of years where people are gathering more and more data that they want to use for health applications or for, for training applications or in business sense, understanding what their workers are doing, um, assisting them with the task and the, and the role that they're performing. And so sort of a connected world where it's, it's whether your watch, your glasses, your car, your phone, it must be quite appealing for, for someone there's, that runs the infrastructure. It is. There's some challenges to overcome. How do, we, how do we do that in a secure way? How do we make sure we maintain people's privacy for their data? How do we get all of those different applications talking together effectively? So there's still some heavy lifting to do in terms of the architecture and the technologies, but I think we have the foundations now uh, to really enable some of those new applications. Thank you very much. Finally, Stuart joined me earlier to talk about the Apple MacBook Pro 16-inch, a mighty model that replaces the previous 15-incher yet retains the same size. He's been using it for more than a week, so has a pretty good idea of what it's like. Here's what he thinks. So Apple's got a brand new MacBook Pro in the stores and Stu's been playing with it. Stu, what's different with this one? So I think there's two main differences. One is the screen is now 16 inches rather than 15, although it's in effectively the same sized machine. But probably the one that most people are going to be interested in hearing about is the keyboard. Uh, after years of keyboard complaints, reworkings, more complaints, more reworkings, more complaints, more reworkings, Apple has kind of finally said, you know what, maybe the butterfly keyboard system isn't the best uh, for our MacBook range. And so they've gone back to a scissor mechanism, which gives you more travel and a softer kind of spongier keys to type with. Is it so, so it's, it doesn't feel like you're just sort of just tapping on a, on a desktop it, rather than it, it now feels more sort of like a tangible, yeah? Yeah, so I've been, I mean, I've used the MacBook Pro range for a number of years and the current models elsewhere apart from the 16 inch a very probably the politest way of putting it is very clickety clack so <laughs> if you've got one you'll know exactly what i mean it's kind of they're very stiff uh, in a sort of in that approach of trying to get the macbook as thin as possible the macbook pro as thin as possible they kind of created this new what's butterfly 
keyboard mechanism, uh, which meant that it's very stiff. There's not much travel. There's only about half a mil travel. And it just means that it, it for a lot of people, they just felt that it they didn't like typing on it. I also know that from sitting on the sofa working uh, with my wife next to me watching TV, she kind of constantly looks at me as like, are you really typing that loudly? And I'm like, it's not typing that loudly. It's just the keyboard. Um, and now with using the 16-inch version, they've gone back to the... They've gone back to the original keyboard design, but made it slightly better, obviously taking some learnings from the butterfly keyboard uh, and moving. So it means, A, you can type almost silently, which will obviously help. There's a millimeter of travel, so double the amount of travel, which, if you like typing, makes a big difference. And it's just, there's some other things as well that they've done to the keyboard to make it a much more smoother experience. Do you think it's more robust? Because one of the problems that um, I certainly experienced myself with the um, with the twelve inch MacBook is that the butterfly keyboard and is just it, it had issues, and a lot of them ended up in Genius bars. Now we've only had this new model out for about two weeks. I've been living it for that long. Obviously, I haven't experienced any issues. You know, I've did a lot of typing on it in general day to day work. Uh, it, time will tell whether it will be able to stand the test of time. But the original keyboard, which dates back you know good three or four years now you know was very good didn't really have any issues whatsoever so it's kind of like a the original keyboard was the original movie like a a star wars for example then you had the empire strikes back which was quite polarizing people didn't necessarily like it they some liked it some was fine and then you've gone back to you know the third film in the trilogy like a a return of the jedi and you're like actually this is this is much more fun this is what it's supposed to be like Uh, and then and then moved it on from there I mean, that's only one element to the MacBook Pro uh, new model. Um, there's obviously the new screen, which is now bigger, uh, and it's got true tone technology and P3 and color wide gamut and all those kind of things. And then they've chucked a load of new uh, processor and hardware specs to really make this a pro model. Um, one of the things which will terrify anybody that knows about storage is that you can get an 8 terabyte option for SSD on the go, Um, which obviously does add quite a... I mean, it's almost another MacBook price in itself, just as the hard drive in there. But, I mean, it would work just as a a gamer who knows something about SSDs. It would work very, very quickly um, and be well worth it if you're a power user. Yeah, and that's that's before you start thinking about adding the 64 gig of memory as well. I mean, you know, some of the, I mean, there's a core, there's an i9, uh, Intel Core i9 processor in there. Um, it's eight core, by the way, eight, eight core Intel Core i9 processor option. There's, you know, 16 up to 64 gig of memory. There's AMD Radeon Pro uh, graphics cards. And, you know, there's, it goes up to uh, eight terabytes of storage, which is, is just crazy. So that screen, does the extra one inch diagonally make a difference? I'm not sure it does, to be honest. I mean, it, they've, what they've done is they've effectively reduced the bezels on the left and right-hand side and a little bit on the, on the bottom. The top still stays the same because it's got to allow for the, um, the camera that sits at the top, and they haven't gone down that, that notch uh, that the iPhone is famous for. <laughs> um, when I talked to them about that, they were like, yeah, no, we're not, <laughs> not going to do a notch in a, in a MacBook. But I, I, you know, obviously it's a nice, it's nice to have that screen. It does feel like you're kind of at times carrying around an iMac just in your pocket, you not in your pocket, but in your bag in that sense of, you know, just the sheer size of it. Um, but I don't know whether you really, you know, I wasn't a big, I, I, I use a 13 inch model uh, normally. So I, I, 
I've, it's been a long time since I've used the 15 inch and I know people that do use it and they love that size. So I think if you're used to the 15 inch and you suddenly get the 16, you think, oh yeah, great. You know, there's a lot more screen here. I think what's noticeable is that the bezel is a lot thinner, which does feel like you're getting, you're getting more screen real estate for, for the space that you've got in the, in the casing. What about the weight of the overall laptop? Is it um, is it of a reasonable weight? Could you could you comfortably carry it? I around? mean, it's big and it's heavy. Um, it's I can't remember the, the sheer weight in kilos, but it's like four, I think it's four point three pounds. Um, so that's a good couple of kilos, isn't it? Um, you know, yeah. it's not something you're just going to chuck in your bag and not realise it's there. Purely also by the fact that the bag has to be able to take a 15 inch model so it's quite big you know it's it's a big machine um i think this you really got to think about this is if you use a desktop mac you know your, your imac user or whatever this for me really is the feeling that you are taking an imac with you in a portable option um this is, you know, they're pitching this as for the pros. So the people that want to, you know, that photographer that is shooting on on set or shooting out in the field and wants to be able to look at his pictures without looking at it at a tiny screen, or the music guy or the video editing dude that is that is capable of working on their projects on the go on a plane. And admittedly, if you to use this, you'd have to sit in business because there's no way that this would fit on an economy size size back track, you know, back tray, you know, back back of the seat tray, <laughs> or even on a you know a train that was you know those little shelves on trains. You, you're not gonna. I took it into London on the train and, and I kind of pretty much took, I sat in first class and pretty much took the whole of the table out. Um, and I, I presume if you added your, your iPad and did the whole sidecar thing, you would, you know, you'd, it's a, it's a big experience. Um, it's powerful <laughs> and that's great. The caveat with all of that power is that by God, the battery gets sucked up quickly. Um, so you kind of we were getting the Apple promise about eleven hours uh, for battery life if you're just running a browser, uh, if you're running multiple tabs within that browser, you're doing other things. Uh, in reality, you're probably going to get more like seven and a half to eight hours on that. Now that should give you a good chunk of the day, but it's certainly not. You know, you will need to find a power outlet at some point, um, almost to the point where we could see the, you know, the power when we were doing heavy tasks like record like uh editing this podcast or doing some photo editing or, or what have you um you could see that the power percentage was ticking down like a clock so you know there we were using the the top of the range the i9 so the i9 model you know there was a lot going not necessarily a lot going on but it's just you know heavy that that processor takes time to to eat into things so the last question the million dollar question almost is uh how pricey is it uh it's yeah it's not cheap i think the prices uh, depending on the configurations they start at about two thousand two and a half thousand pounds uh and then i think the top of the range if you tick all the boxes goes up to about six thousand six thousand dollars something like that i mean it's you know you yeah oh, you, can, you can really go to town in the same way that you can uh, the the base the top of the range model if you tick all the boxes kind of gets you just to the beginning of the mac pro 
uh, range, which is their yeah. desktop machine. So it doesn't, you can't use this as a, well, I'll get this instead of a Mac Pro, which is obviously very aimed at, you know, the real sort of heavy users that are making, you know, Hollywood movies and, you know, Grammy award winning soundtracks and all these um, albums and all that kind of stuff. But this is, it certainly, if you wanted to tick all the boxes, would get you, you know, to towards the, six i think about six six and a half grand um so yeah a lot of a lot of money my bet would be the better option if you were thinking about getting this because the the 16 inch is very big is is i suspect a lot of the technology that's in this model will trickle down to the 13 inch and i would fully expect although that apple haven't confirmed this in any way shape or form i would fully expect the 13 inch mac pro macbook pro to go into a 14 inch next year and take on that keyboard which will be obviously cheaper but also will also be a lot more portable and a lot more uh, coveted by the general apple macbook pro user than this monster of a machine excellent well thank you very much Stu. and uh well you'll be back next week on the podcast you'll be back to host it again i'm pretty sure thanks very much So that's it for this week. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on the podcast platform you listen on. It really makes a difference to us and will let others know you liked it too. I've been Rick Henderson. Tatty bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.